Well, tonight we get to see uh, the, sad, uh, the sad issue of the decline of Eli's house and the rise of the house of Samuel. And we're going to see this theme of houses falling and rising all through the book of Samuel. Uh, Saul's house will fall and David's house will arise to replace it. David is going to want to build a house for God. And God says, you're not going to build a house for me. I'm going to build a house for you. But tonight we get to see the decline of Eli in his house. And at the same time, we see the rise of Samuel and his ministry. And you should see him going in parallel like this. All right. As the story unfolds in both chapters two and three, you get all these elements that show us what Eli's sons were like. And this repeated refrain of what Samuel is like and why God is favoring Samuel. So Eli's house was corrupt. Uh, Eli's house particularly his sons, were, as the translation here says, worthless. Um, It's very literally sons of Belial, and we'll talk a little bit about what that means. But just very briefly, his sons abused the people of God. They exploited them for their own appetites. Eli benefited from their exploitation of the people of God personally. Um, And When he knew what his sons were doing, he failed to stop them. He failed to do anything about it. And on the other hand, Samuel is shown in several ways. One, it says three times that he was ministering to the Lord. So he's he's shown ministering to the Lord, serving Eli, and learning to hear God. He slowly but surely matures. There's another refrain. He's ministering to the Lord. And the other refrain is he's maturing. He's growing up in the eyes of God and the people. And he submits to the annual, the regular, the daily rituals that took place at Shiloh. And more importantly, just by looking at the way his life unfolds, he refuses the path of the example of some older men around him, Hophni and Phinehas. So let's dig in to verse 1. Now the boy Samuel was ministering to the Lord in the presence of Eli. And the word of the Lord was rare in those days. There was no frequent vision. As I said, that phrase that Samuel was ministering to the Lord occurs three times in chapters 2 and 3. The writer of Samuel wants us to get that he's there ministering in the tabernacle or ministering in the tent. And keep in mind what this means. This is the same word used for Joseph when he rose to be the right-hand man in Egypt. He ministered. He was a minister of the Pharaoh. Well, in a very similar way, Samuel's ministering to the Lord. He's working for God in his house, taking care of God's business in his house. This would have included several things. Uh, It would have included the routine of rituals and sacrifices. I'm going to lean in on this a little bit because we read the Old Testament and in some ways we rightly say, oh, thank goodness we don't have that anymore. But I want to emphasize tonight that it was those very routines and rituals that helped Samuel grow in the knowledge of God. I believe it was that annual round, that daily round of offering those sacrifices and celebrating those sacrifices that taught him some things about God and prepared him to hear God. And I think that's important because we think, oh, thank goodness we don't have those. You know, that's not the only point we should take away from the sacrifices in the Old Testament. Thank goodness we don't have them. We're meant to learn from them. I think in a similar way that Samuel was meant to learn from from them. He would have also been part of teaching the people of God. The priests were supposed to teach people uh, about the sacrifices, but about all of God's commands. 
So imagine this time going by. This is what ministering to the Lord would have been. And I, just as we were getting ready, I was thinking about, Kelly shared recently about the donut man and the Dunkin' Donuts commercials, time to make the donuts. I can picture Samuel saying, time to do the sacrifices, you know, time to get up and start the fire and make sure the, the, the lamp of the Lord is burning. So he would have been day in, day out. Just picture him in that context. Verse 2. At that time... Eli, whose eyesight had begun to grow dim so that he could not see, was lying down in his own place. The lamp of God had not yet gone out, and Samuel was lying down in the temple of the Lord where the ark of God was. Notice a couple of phrases. In the prior verse, it says, um, the word of the Lord was rare. There was no frequent vision. It goes on to say here that um, Eli's eyesight had begun to grow dim and that the lamp of God had not yet gone out. I think all of those are talking about the same thing, okay? All of those things. No frequent vision, Eli losing his sight, the lamp of God flickering as if it's about to go out. Um, All of those things are talking about the same thing. The people of God had stopped hearing from God. The leader of the people of God, Eli, the priest, the high priest of the people of God, his eyesight had grown dim. And remember when the Bible talks about things like that, it's not just talking about the fact that probably his literal eyesight had gone dim, but his spiritual eyesight has gone dim. And we've already seen that, right? He he can't discern genuine heartfelt prayer when he sees it. So I think all of these things are commenting on the fact that the people of God are at very low ebb, right? They've not heard God in a long time. Uh, There's no visions. Uh, Eli, the high priest, is spiritually blind. Um, And so it opens with this crisis of the people of God. Yet, we get this little glimmer, Samuel is in the house of God. Samuel is in the house of his adoptive father, Eli, but more importantly, he's in the house of God, his father. Verse 4, then the Lord called Samuel, and he said, here I am, and ran to Eli and said, here I am, for you called me. But he said, I did not call, lie down again. So, So he went and lay down. And the Lord called again, Samuel. And Samuel arose and went to Eli and said, Here I am, for you called me. But he said, I did not call my son. Lie down again. Now Samuel did not yet know the Lord. The word of the Lord had not yet been revealed to him. Uh, This is a great passage, and we're all familiar with it. And it's in a lot of children's books. I seem to remember a, a children's book we had with this story that my kids really liked. Samuel, Samuel. They liked, the, they liked that, that rhythm of it. And it's got this... This repetitive rhythm, three times, and then Eli's like, oh, I see what's going on, and then he hears. But I think one of the things that the text is trying to teach us is it takes time to learn to hear God. Now, I think we also picture Eli here, excuse me, Samuel here, as maybe seven, eight. I actually think he was probably more like 20, 25. Okay, we don't know. But I think chapters 2 to 30, or excuse me, 2 to 3, are meant to cover a long period of time. And I think that we're seeing him grow, we're seeing him mature, and part of that maturing of Samuel is him learning to hear God. And I think this is really important. He's doing the routines. He's studying the law. He's offering the sacrifices. And all of that is slowly working on him and slowly maturing him. And in that process, he's learning to hear God's voice. And it's crucial that he, we see that he confuses the voice of another person for the voice of God. In other words, sometimes it's hard to distinguish the voices we hear. 
right? We, we hear other voices and we hear other people's voices in our head. I mean, how many people you're, you know, you, the voice of a parent or the voice of a teacher or the voice of a coach rings in your head. There's all kinds of voices we hear, our own voices. And it took him time to distinguish from all those voices, the voice of God. And I think part of what the text is teaching us is that's okay. It's a process. It's a maturing process to learn to hear the voice of God. And it says he did not yet know the Lord. Now that phrase in the Old Testament, know the Lord, Pharaoh said, I don't know Yahweh. And what Pharaoh meant by I don't know Yahweh is I don't acknowledge Yahweh. Moses, that's your God. I don't, I don't acknowledge him. And Samuel did not yet know God. Now, earlier it says in chapter 2 that, uh, that Hophni and Phinehas did not know the Lord. And I think we should hear that like Pharaoh. They refused to know the Lord. They had every opportunity to learn his ways, to learn his law, but they refused. So Samuel's learning to hear God. And Eli, to his credit, is like, oh, God's speaking to him. And he says, listen, this is what you say to God. And then listen for what he says. He says, speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. Put yourself, if you want to hear God, Eli is saying, put yourself at God's disposal as his servant. Make yourself available to him. This reminds me of Mary's response to the angel. Be it unto me as you have said. I'm the Lord's handmaiden. All right, this is an Old Testament version of that. So Eli, in a clinch, finally comes through. He finally kind of sees what's going on and is crucial in some ways, despite all his flaws, in discipling young Samuel to learn to hear God. Verse 8. And the Lord called Samuel a third time, and he arose and went to Eli and said, Here I am, for you called me. Then Eli perceived that the Lord was calling the boy. Therefore, Eli said to Samuel, go lie down, and if he calls you, you shall say, speak, Lord, for your servant hears. So Samuel went and lay in his place. Let's go on down to verse 10. And the Lord came and stood, calling as at other times, Samuel, Samuel. And Samuel said, speak, Lord, for your servant hears. Then the Lord said to Samuel, behold, I am about to do a thing in Israel at which the two ears of everyone who hears will tingle. On that day, I will fulfill against Eli all that I have spoken concerning his house from beginning to end. And I will declare to him that I am about to punish his house forever for the iniquity that he knew because his sons were blaspheming God and he did not restrain them. Therefore, I swear to the house of Eli that the iniquity of Eli's house shall not be atoned for by sacrifice and offering forever. First, I want to point out that it says the Lord stood. It's a pretty physical phrase there, right? It's almost as if the Lord appears in fashion as a man. And I think this is one of those examples of these Old Testament appearances of God that are probably the Lord Jesus before his incarnation, that it's Jesus himself, the word of the Father, that is speaking to Samuel. And then he says, I'm about to do a new thing. We get this unique phrase, the two ears of everyone who hears this will tingle. Generally speaking in the Bible, when that phrase comes about the ears ringing, it's speaking about judgment. All right, it's speaking about judgment on somebody's house. So remember it says that, it says that they were worthless men, Hophni and Phinehas. The phrase, as I said, is sons of Belial. Earlier in chapter 1, when, when Eli thought that Hannah was uh, drunk, he said, Oh, do not consider me a daughter of Belial. 
All right? We're not exactly sure what this means, but I think we can look at what is assumed or what goes with being a worthless person or a son or a daughter of Belial and understand it. One, well, being drunk in church. All right? He thought she was drunk in church, and she said, no, no, I'm not a daughter of Belial. Uh, Hophni and Phinehas bully the worshipers of God. Right? They, want, they come, they want their share of the meat. They want to take it the wrong way, not stipulated by God to, to Moses. And they say, and if you don't give it to me, I'll take it by force. So they're bullying the people of God. They're grabbing God's share of the sacrifice. What's the point about in chapter 2, the point about, uh, well, let us burn off the fat. God stipulated in the sacrifices that the fat belongs to God. When you offer a sacrifice, the fat is the most precious part and it belongs to God. So what are Hophni and Phinehas doing? They're taking God's portion. All right, they're taking God's portion. And then it says that they abuse the women who served in the temple. That's what a son of Belial is. They're men who have privilege. They're men who have power. And they use that privilege and power to feed their appetite, to abuse people, to take what belongs to God. And... <clears throat> Or Eli has been warned about this repeatedly. So I want to suggest that Eli's sons were little pharaohs. They were little, uh, little versions of what Pharaoh of Egypt had become. This is the tragedy among the people of God. And this is why it says also in chapter 2 that they did not listen to their father because God was determined to kill them. All right? I don't think we should hear that as, oh my goodness, that's so harsh. I think they had been warned repeatedly. And they had passed a point of no return. And God had determined, it's time to deal with these two little tyrants that are abusing my people. Eli had been warned. In chapter 2, the anonymous man of God comes to him and says, listen, you know what's going on. And he gives a particularly pointed accusation to Eli. Your sons are grabbing all the meat for themselves. And Eli, you've gotten fat off of it. You have taken advantage of what they're doing. Maybe you didn't like what they were doing, but you benefited from it. And God uses a particular phrase. He says, you honor your sons and not me. And by honoring them, you yourself have become heavy. And it's the same word. You don't give weight to God. You give weight to your sons and you yourself has become heavy. So Eli does confront them and he says, boys, this is not good. I hear this. It's not good. You you shouldn't be doing this. And there's this repeated refrain. In fact, the word for here occurs eight times in that section. It's like the opposite of what hero Israel was supposed to be, right? Hear my people, listen to my voice, attend to what I say. And Eli's sons are doing the exact opposite. They're doing the, the opposite of hearing. So the message is that the house of Eli is going to fall. Uh, imagine that, all right? You're 20 years old. You've been with this guy, let's say 20, 25, you've been with this guy maybe 20 years. He's in some ways a spiritual father. And you're learning to hear from God. And the first message you're given is, your two sons are going to die and your house is going to be cut off. Can you imagine that? All right. This is not like a a warm, tingly moment for uh, Samuel. This is a very intense moment. Um, This is a very challenging moment. Um, And notice one last thing about this speech. God says, listen, I promised that you would be a priest forever or your house would be a priest forever. But God will not be mocked. 
you haven't taken care of what you should have taken care of. And so uh, your house is going to be cut off. Verse 15. Samuel lay until morning. Then he opened the doors of the house of the Lord. And Samuel was afraid to tell the vision to Eli. But Eli called Samuel and said, Samuel, my son. And he said, here I am. And Eli said, what was it that he told you? Do not hide it from me. May God do so to you and more also if you hide anything from me of all that he told you. Do you think that Eli had an inkling of what the message was? That happens a lot, doesn't it? That you kind of know maybe if somebody's challenging you about something. Maybe you've heard about it before uh, and you haven't responded. So he says, you got to tell me. So Samuel told him everything and hid nothing from him. And he said, it is the Lord. Let him do what seems good to him. First, that phrase, he opened the doors. I don't think there's a lot of accidental statements in Scripture. This is not just, oh, yeah, he got up in the morning and he opened the doors. I think it's symbolic. I think it's speaking of the role that Samuel would play. Uh, Remember that the, the temple was the place where people could draw near to God. The temple was a place where God had given his people means by which they could draw near to him. And I think in many ways during Eli's time, those doors were closed because right worship wasn't allowed because Hophni and Phinehas were keeping it from happening. And so the fact that Samuel gets up and opens those doors, I think, is resonating with a very biblical theme. Uh, the Psalms speak of the king who would come and it says, open you ancient doors, right? Uh, let the king of glory come in. Jesus accused the Pharisees of not entering the kingdom of God and keeping other people from entering the kingdom of God. So Samuel, I think, is there. It's a sign that he is opening up the way for the people of God to approach him again. And now the shoe is on the other foot. Samuel had to learn from Eli how to hear from God. And now Eli needs to hear from Samuel what God has said to him. And just a brief comment on Eli here at the end. It is a very hard word to his house. And it's similar to a lot of words that uh, a lot of men in similar positions through the scripture get. But I want to suggest that Eli humbly responds. All right. He's tried to warn his sons. It's too little too late. Um, He's a deeply flawed man. But I want to suggest that he's ultimately saved. I don't think this message is necessarily about his personal damnation. I think it's about his house and his sons and what they've done. So I think there's something admirable here in the end about Eli that he's relinquishing. He's letting go. He said, well, this is God's judgment and he is wise and he is good and he knows best. And I think he relinquishes and allows for something new to take place. And I think it's important because later on, when Saul is similarly challenged, he doesn't respond that way. He fights and kicks and and grabs and tears. Uh, Likewise, Jonathan, Saul's son, later on is going to say, hey, I don't care about my kingdom. I want the kingdom of David to stand. So I think there's a beautiful humility in Eli. Verse 19. And Samuel grew and the Lord was with him. And let none of his words fall to the ground. And all Israel, from Dan to Beersheba, knew that Samuel was established as a prophet of the Lord. And the Lord appeared again at Shiloh, for the Lord revealed himself to Samuel at Shiloh by the word of the Lord. 
So again, it says Samuel grew. This is, again, like the third time that the text has said that Samuel was growing. Um, Just as Samuel ministered and served, in the same way that it says that he's repeatedly he's doing that, the text is saying he kept on growing. He kept on maturing. Uh, As I said, these chapters probably cover 15 to 20 years, and it's the steady pace of his maturing. Not a ton is going on except his maturing. All right, not a whole lot other than the, the, the sin of, uh, of Hophni and Phinehas. And at the same time, Samuel himself is maturing at the steady pace of human maturing. Just like the Lord Jesus spent 18 years maturing in a similar way. In fact, similar phrases are spoken about Jesus. And all during that time, Eli's sons go from worse to worse. So the text says he's well established as a prophet. So where the chapter began, the lamp of God was flickering. Eli was, was, uh, he couldn't see. There was no frequent vision. There was no speaking. God wasn't speaking to his people. Now that's been reversed. Now through the maturing of Samuel and his openness to God, that's been reversed. The lamp of God is burning. The light of God is beginning to shine on his people, and the word of God is frequent, and all Israel knows that it is. And finally, that curious phrase at the end, for the Lord revealed himself to Samuel at Shiloh by the word of the Lord. All right, once again, the word of the Lord. I think we should hear in this that it is Jesus himself that has been communicating with Samuel during all this time. So a few things here at the end to to pull out and to summarize. I think in this text we get the classic two ways. Does everybody remember when Moses is getting ready to die? He says, all right, send people up on one mountain, declare all the blessings of keeping the covenant. Send somebody up on the other mountain, declare all the curses uh, that go with not keeping the covenant. We get in this chapter a picture of the two ways. All right, the ways of Eli's sons of grasping, exploiting, resisting God, not heeding warnings, feeding your appetite. And then on the other side, we get the way of Samuel, the way of ministering in the house of God, of submitting, of serving, of learning. All right? And it's a challenge to us to resist the way of Hophni and Phinehas, but embrace the way of maturing that Samuel takes. It is like the contrast between Hannah and Penina that comes in the first chapter of the book. So there's that. And then again, I want to underline this this element of ministering and maturing. Uh, Samuel ministered in the house of God. He would have learned all of these rituals and all this law that we've been speaking of. And I want to suggest that it was this context of ministering to God, of ministering to people, of learning God's law. It's in that context he learned to hear God, not despite of it. Does that make sense? I think we often think, oh, yeah, all those rituals, that's bad, bad, bad. Actually, I think it's those rituals that prepared him. They prepared his heart to begin to be able to hear God. And this is why the people of God are still called not to make those sacrifices, but to study them. Not to have those sacrificial system of the Old Testament, but to learn about it. So he's ministering and maturing. And we should, we are called likewise, I think, to learn from the scriptures and to study them year in and year out. And it's not glamorous or glorious any given time, but there's a slow process of maturing and preparing our hearts that God does when we do that. 
Of course, this theme of the fall of the house of Eli is central in all of this section. And again, I want to suggest that Eli is a little bit like John the Baptist. He must increase. I must decrease. He's a flawed man. But in the end, he successfully helps Samuel hear God. And he humbly embraces what God says he's going to do to his house. All right. In the end, he knew something of the ways of God. And then there's this new thing. And I want to point out all the people that are a part of this new thing that God is doing. Hannah is a part of it because of her desperation and her prayer and her faith in God and God answering her prayer. Eli is a part of it because he yields to the ways of God. He yields and says, God is good. Let him do what, is, what he deems best. Samuel is a part of it because he, he gives himself to that, that year in, year out uh, maturing and he receives a vision from God. And God is about to do a new thing. And I think in our midst, we can have all of those same dynamics. A desperation for God to move in our lives. Uh, a, a letting God have the consequences of our own actions and saying, but let God do a new thing. Uh, and most importantly, we can have people, particularly young people, who are learning, who are maturing, and who are opening themselves up to what God might do. Finally, let me ask this question. Where is Jesus in all of this? Because remember, all of Scripture is about him. It speaks of him and it points to him. Well, as I've suggested, I think he's there speaking to Samuel. I think the word of the Lord speaks of him speaking to him. And because the temple speaks of him and the sacrifices speak of him and him, the word of God is coming, Samuel begins to reflect the Lord himself. Just a few ways I want to suggest. He left his father's house. Right? Just like uh, Jesus stayed in the temple when his parents went home, uh, Eli is left in the father's house. He's serving his adoptive parents, just like Jesus did. He's serving year in and year out and slowly maturing and growing. He's not grasping for power. He doesn't stage a coup of the temple complex, but allows God to unfold his purposes, and he is raised up in due time. He's a faithful priest just like Jesus was, who replaced unfaithful priests, right? God says he's looking for shepherds after his own heart. And finally, he opened the doors to the house of God so others could enter, all right? Just like Jesus did in a final way. Amen? Amen. 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 Well, let's stand and we'll come to the table.